Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England message of the week. We hope you enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Pastor Eric Capelli. All right, we welcomed everyone, but now let's welcome the Word of God with one another today. As we wrap up this month, I've been speaking about the anointing. And I don't want the anointing to feel like this faraway thing. Now, as I've said in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, when we say anointing, we tend to base that off of the things that we feel. So when we feel like a song, like we're feeling it. If we have a sermon and we're feeling the sermon, but when we're talking about the anointing, we are not talking about a subjective feeling. We are speaking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. When Jesus departed and went to the Father, he said, wait in Jerusalem and I will send the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was the anointed one of the Father. And in order to continue on his work, we needed the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us so that we could look, act, talk, breathe, do the things like Jesus did them. And so we, in turn, have become anointed ones like Jesus. And today I want to talk to you about anointing and the mission of God. In the last month, I've spoken of things like what the anointing did in the Old Testament. That the Spirit of God came upon prophets, kings, and priests for a certain time, for a moment, so that they could fulfill a function. However, in the New Testament, we see a shift. That God comes and he dwells inside of people. And no longer is anointing oil needed on the outside. But the Spirit of God comes and he lives on the inside. We need to ask ourselves the question this very day, why do we need the anointing? In order to complete the mission of God, why do people like you and I need the very presence of God to do it? Pastor Greg Rochelle says the following. He has a book that's called It. And he talks about the it factor, or what we can call the Holy Spirit factor, and what we do, or the anointing. He said, if you want your ministry to have it, more important than anything else we discussed, you must have it. And I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. We talk about anointed pastors. We need anointed parishioners. We talk about an anointed song and an anointed worship team. We need anointed worshipers. We talk about an anointed ministry. No, you are anointed ministers. And see, we've reached that place in the church globally. We've reached that place here in New England. Church can no longer be a platform thing. It needs to be people who know how to live in the presence of God. That is how we have it. Why? Because when the presence of God has filtered through our hearts, the rare combination of passion, integrity, focus, faith, expectation, drive, hunger, and God's anointing, God tends to infuse your ministry with it. He blesses your work. People are changed. Leaders grow. Resources flow. The ministry tends to take on a life of its own. See, the church is not just an organization. The church is not just only the assembling of a group of people with one another. 
The church is the living, breathing presence of God flowing through his people. And I need to tell you this morning, we need his presence. We need his presence. And there's a hunger, there's a passion, there's a desire in my heart that we become more and more the people that seek the presence of God in everything we say and in everything we do. Why, why, why? Because we need him and the world around us needs him. The Jesus of the Gospels needs to come alive in and through us. And you and I, we should settle for nothing less than that he is moving, working, and doing the things that only he can do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the very presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you not only that you functioned under the very presence of the Holy Spirit, but you willfully and gladly imparted your spirit into your church. And to each and every person that is here and watching online, it is your desire that each and every one of us be filled to overflowing. Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, in just a moment, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2. However, I want to talk to you about something that I briefly referred to in a sermon this month, about the original anointing, what I call the creation anointing. When God formed humanity, when he formed Adam, the very first person, God made Adam in his image. However, in order to do that, God performed a creative miracle. The rest of creation, God had spoken into existence. But with Adam, he took the dust of the earth, and we use that word dust, but in a moment, we need to reframe that a little bit. And he formed Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, But there went up a mist from the earth that watered the face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a soul. Here in the scripture, we see the very first anointing taking place. The anointing of water and spirit. As water kind of seeds or gets the ground prepared, and even though the word dust is used, it is that word ground, like muddy ground. And God begins to take almost the pastiness of the earth, like a potter forming a piece of clay. And God takes that human being from the dust of the earth that is watered, and he breathes the very breath of life into him. And that life is that spirit-giving life. That life that was breathed out on Adam in creation was breathed upon Jesus after he was crucified and he lay in a grave for three days. It was that life, that breath of God that brought him back to life again. It was that breath of God that Jesus breathes out in the book of John over the church. It is that breath of God that comes in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is given to the church. 
And that breath that breathed life into Adam, that breath that rose Jesus from the dead, that breath that breathed on Pentecost, it is that same breath of God that is breathing today. That same anointing of water and spirit is breathing today. But you and I, like Adam and Eve who fell into sin, if we are not careful, we get dusty and rusty all over again. Eugene Peterson, he cries out, Oh God, when my faith gets overladened with dust, blow it clean with the wind of your spirit. When my habits of obedience get stiff and rusty, anoint them with the oil of your spirit. Restore the enthusiasm of my first love for you. See, God's desire from the very beginning was to create humanity to enjoy him, to work and to enjoy it, to minister and enjoy it. To Adam and Eve, he gave them the command to fill the earth, to multiply, to take care of the garden, to have authority over all creation. And the creation mandate has not changed. Even Jesus takes on the creation mandate in the Gospel of Mark when he says to his disciples, go into all the world, and preach the news to all creation. You and I become part of that very same anointing when we go through the waters of baptism and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. Even though Adam and Eve, they fumbled it up, you and I, we have hope. We have hope because God provided Jesus. Recently, my wife, she listens, obviously, to a radio station that I won't name. And they tend to play music that's Christian music, and honestly, it is depressing. And one of their famous songs that they have out there is, I'm Broken. That's all the guy sings. And I'm broken. We have developed such a poor mentality of what it means to have the breath of God in our lives. We produced all across the world Christians who can't make it. We've produced believers that genuinely believe that now that they've come to Jesus, they're more broken than they were when they got saved. We have missed the point, and we've missed the mark. And when we return to Jesus, when we allow him to blow off our dustiness, when we allow him to oil the rustiness like the tin man and get us back to the place that we need to be, we are no longer declaring we are helpless, we are hopeless, we are broken, we can't do it without you. What we are saying is, I am a child of God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. My God is able to do the impossible. My God still saves, still heals, still delivers. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's powerful. He's able. And man, we got to proclaim it. We've got to pray it. We've got to sing it. I am sick and tired of people just being sick and tired. I can't take it. I can't do it. Oh, no, 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 no. The word of God says it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And David cried it out in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. He said, Lord, with your strength, I can run through an army and I can leap over a wall. And we need that presence of God inside of us. Why? Because life 
happens. Things happen to each and every one of us. We are not just strolling around in the nudie in the Garden of Eden having a grand old time. We are dealing with the harshness and reality of life. We are dealing with the fallen world. And it is only the anointing of God that gives us all that we need, not only to keep our heads above water. And many churches, that's the way they exist. That's the way most believers exist. We're just keeping our head above the water. No, God did not give the Holy Spirit so that I could just keep my head above the water. God did not just give his Holy Spirit so the church could keep its head above the water. God gave the anointing so that we could walk on water. And we need that anointing. We need that presence. And Jesus, when he came in human form, he showed us what that real anointing, what I'm calling today that second anointing, what that looked like, because Jesus was the anointed one. He was the person of the Godhead sent to earth, fully God, fully man, who came to show us what heaven really looked like. Many believers have gotten it really messed up striving for heaven, striving, striving, striving. There's something pastorally that I always correct, and I'm going to correct it again. You've heard me say it, but as much as I say it, I feel like it's not clicking. And you know how I get? I don't want to get impatient. I want to help you. But many Christians say the following, oh, God's not moving. Oh, there's no revival. I say, ooh, 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 ooh. I've got a lovely screwdriver here. I have an outlet there. If I were to take off this part of the screwdriver and take my shoes off and take the piece of metal and stick it in that socket, what would happen? Is there electricity flowing through that outlet? Do any of you want to dare to try if I remove the handle and you take off your shoes? Any, any volunteers today? Would you ever question if there's electricity there? Would you question that for a moment? Come on, anyone, anyone, anyone? Then if electricity is flowing through there with voltage that could knock you to your feet, then when you say that God is not moving, you don't understand the story from God's perspective. See, when Jesus came, Jesus showed us what revival looked like. Jesus showed us what the power of God looked like. We are not meant to be people that stand here waning and feigning as if God isn't alive. He is alive and well. His spirit is among us. And either you get on board with what he's doing or you let that train go on by. But man, God is looking for people that hunger for his anointing. God is looking for people that say, God, I am hungry and I'm thirsty for more of you. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. Like God breathed upon Adam. Like God breathed upon Jesus. And he breathed upon the early church. Let it be our prayer, Bethel. Let it be the prayer of everyone watching online. God, breathe on me. I don't need an altar call for that moment. Let's take a moment right now and lift our hands to heaven. Let's begin to ask right now, ask the Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Just like you breathe in creation upon Adam, just like you breathe upon Jesus, breathe on me, God. 
Just like you breathe on the disciples and you breathe on those in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Just like you've been breathing life all along the way. God, like you breathe on brother and sister Heidel. Lord, breathe upon us today. Breathe upon us so that your church will be victorious. We need that breath. Breathe upon us, breath of God. We see in the ministry of Jesus how wonderful and specific and creative his anointing was. In John chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we see Jesus at a great Jewish festival, the Festival of Booths. Jesus is there and he comes across a man who was born blind. Jesus does this miracle that looks a little bit different than anything else we've really seen in the Bible. It says, and after he said these things, meaning Jesus, he spit on the ground. Yes, he spit. He made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on the blind man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which men sent. So he left, washed, and he came back seeing. What Jesus shows as the anointed one, he shows what that very anointing can do. Just like God made man out of water and dust like a mud paste. The Messiah, as it was told in the Midrash to the Jewish people, it said the anointed one will be able to do creative miracles like God did in the beginning. And when Jesus spits on the ground, he's not being rude or condescending or unfeeling. He is showing he is the wonder-working, powerful God. And the anointing of the Messiah, it causes blind eyes to open, deaf ears to hear, the lame to walk, broken hearts to be mended, prisoners to be set free, and the good news of the kingdom to be declared. And Jesus demonstrates this with a man who is blind from birth. He takes the dust, spits in it, spreads it over his eyes, and says, go and wash Jesus wasn't playing any games. It's like telling someone to go to Trevi Fountain in Italy on a gorgeous summer night. See if you can hurry up and get to that fountain as a blind person. That man had to grope around. After Jesus spread the mud on his eyes, that man had to go and get to the pool of Siloam to wash his eyes, but it was busy on a Jewish festival day. It was packed. And he finally found the pool and he rubbed his eyes. And even though all the critics were getting in the way, he said, I was blind, but now I see. And that is the power of anointing. That is the power of the anointing in this world. That people like you and I, we were once blind, but now we see. And we need that anointing so that eyes all over the world can open up. This man born into blindness like the rest of mankind, but Jesus shone his light upon his darkened heart. Although he himself benefited from the miracle, it wasn't only intended for him. The man was healed and became a walking billboard, a trophy of God's grace. His pain would be the platform upon which he would preach the gospel. His suffering was the means by which God would draw others to himself. The testimony of this man becomes the testimony of you and I. See, when you are in the presence of Jesus, the anointed one, 
turns you around. I am so thankful that Jesus, the anointed one, he turned my life around. When I was broken and in sin, when I was depressed and suicidal, it was Jesus of Nazareth who stepped in. By the anointing and by his power, he stepped in and he caused my darkness to come into the light. And my prayer is that God would not only open all of our eyes, but that he would open the eyes of a world that is dark and still cannot see him. And lastly, the third anointing is the church, the new humanity, that is you and I. It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And you can go just like this, whatever, whatever. This was a thriving church in Antioch. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was present. They had great teachers and prophets and apostles stopping by. And I'm not talking about the kind we know today, yes? We've got prophets who prophesy. We've got apostles who call themselves that. We've got teachers who don't even know how to teach the Bible anymore. And those are the people many run after. But in the church of Antioch, they were the real deal. There are many throughout the ages that have been the real deal, but the church of Antioch shows us a community of people that begin to walk and talk and act like Jesus. People are being sent out on mission as the power of God floods and fills the church and the people are equipped for the work of the ministry. And then they go out and they begin to reach the Roman Empire for Jesus because of what God is doing in their church. That anointing that was upon the church at Antioch, on the believers that were gathered there, we need that same anointing all over again. Originally, these people were called not necessarily Christians. They were called people of the way, like a bunch of hippies. Peace. Like a bunch of pot-smoking crazy people. People of the way. They were known as people that were different, a subsect of Judaism. People thought that they were a little cult. But all of a sudden, distinguishing markers began to come into this community because they weren't hiding themselves behind closed doors. They were not trying to be a social club full of rituals. As the scripture shows us, even though they were called almost like little mini anointed ones, because that's what Christian means, almost like little itty bitty anointed one, little Jesus. But why were they called that? Well, because Peter, when he was walking around the street, when the sun would hit him and cast his shadow, people were getting healed. When our buddy Paul shows up at the church in Antioch, he all of a sudden begins to give out handkerchiefs and articles of clothing. And just by giving them out, people are healed. And no one had to pay $9.99 or give $500 to get healed. If you don't know what that is, I'm a little bit sarcastic about some charismatic practices. They were called Christians because they began to do the things that Jesus did. In James chapter 5, verse 14, we see this fleshed out in the life of a local church. We're not talking about hot shots like Peter and Paul. We are talking about the normal, everyday people that go to work like most of you in this room. 
And it says, as anyone among you is sick, he should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And this is the only time in the New Testament where you see oil being used again. In the Old Testament, oil was for prophets, kings, and priests. In the New Testament, this oil is a representation of the water and the spirit that flowed to anoint the children of God to do the work of Jesus. And so when people are sick, in order to drive out the destructive work of sickness, the work of darkness in the enemy, every time they are anointed, they are reminded of the power of the spirit and the power of a God who not only creates, but restores his creation. And he says, call the elders. And after this section is read, it begins to talk about us being normal, everyday people. You and I, normal, everyday people. Hey, Joe Schmo, Fancy Nancy, Lucy Goosey, Two Time and Timmy. Vicente liked that one. <laughs> you and I are normal, everyday people. And the text says these normal, everyday people are the ones that you call to your house because of the power of the anointing of Jesus that rests upon the church. And he says their prayers are prayers just like ordinary people. And then the Bible draws back to the Old Testament to Elijah. And it says Elijah was just a man and he prayed that it would not rain and it didn't. And then Elijah prayed that it would rain and it did. And when we look at Elijah, we see a powerful man of the spirit, undeniably anointed. The dude is so anointed, do you know he's still alive to this day? God just took him up to heaven? But the Bible says he was just an ordinary man. And that's what the anointing does to ordinary people like you and I. It makes our prayers powerful, just like Elijah's prayers were powerful. And the Bible says the fervent prayers of a righteous person avail much, meaning that when you pray, God works. He works. And when you believe that, it shakes and it does something. On Wednesday night, October the 4th at 6.30, we are gathering here as Bethel, New England with two other Assemblies of God churches. They're both about 12 minutes from us in different directions. The Assemblies of God Church in Southington, the Assemblies of God Church in New Britain, we're gathering together. And as believers, yeah, just like Elijah, we're going to pray and we're going to believe that the anointing of God is going to flow through our people. It's going to flow through the region. And guess what? We're not going to settle for anything but that. His presence must flow. Ian e. Bounds words it so nicely. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better. Not new organizations or more and novel methods. God's not a God of gimmicks. But men from whom the Holy Ghost can use men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but upon men. 
He does not anoint plans, but men and men of prayer. And this applies to the ladies too. Forgive our buddy E.M. God is looking for a few good women and a few good men that say, God, I am sick and tired of going through the motions of the systems and the things that we've created. I just want you. I just want your presence moving through my life. The Moravians, a bunch of immigrants that were housed by a count, they just wanted the presence of God. Spurned a missions movement that touched the world. The Methodists, they just wanted the presence of God. And the fires of God began to move again and people were reached. The early Pentecostals, they just wanted the anointing of God to touch the world. Church, we need the anointing again. We need that breath of God to breathe upon us. And instead of running away, shying away, when it doesn't go the way we want or happen the way we think it needs to happen, or if we tried once and it didn't happen the way we liked it, do not give up. When people run or search after God, oftentimes with a bad mentality, they think, oh, God is a meanie. I prayed and it didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. I asked God if I could meet with him. I asked God if he could touch me. He did not. And they treat God as if he is hiding himself away. But God is just playing hide and seek. He says, seek me and you will find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, he wants to be found. And lastly, this morning in closing, oftentimes when we speak of the anointing of God, when he begins to move and touch and do the things that you and I cannot do on our own, it is often human nature that people puff themselves up they forget that it's God that's been doing the work all along, that God is the gas that gets the car from A to B, that God is the one who makes sure that one will plant and another waters, but he's the one that makes it grow, and people tend to forget that. And so as I close this morning, I need us to understand that the anointing is not a power that just makes you look better. The anointing is the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And every time we want his presence, we've got to be like the lady in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and 38. She came to Jesus, a woman whose life was broken and riddled in sin. She wasn't looking for power she wasn't looking for a better reputation. She wasn't even looking for absolution. All she wanted was to be in the presence of Jesus. She took costly oil, a year's worth of income, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. She wet his feet with her tears and dried her feet with her hair, and the whole crowd had commentary about this lady. All she wanted was to be in the presence of Jesus. And instead of, I want the anointing, and many people have said that, and there's nothing wrong with wanting the presence of God, but sometimes the motive of why you want it is not right. It's not like Aladdin, you're rubbing the bottle of a genie. 
It's not meant to be compared to other forms of magic or witchcraft. When people do certain things, they get what they want, when they want, and how they want them. The God of the Bible is a sovereign, powerful God who stands above all of this. And when we realize that, we realize that the first anointing that we should bring him is an anointing of all that we are as we pour ourselves out on the feet of Jesus. It says that one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He, meaning Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. Church, the very first place that we need to start if we want the anointing of God to flow, is not him anointing us. It's us anointing him. Pouring out our lives. Pouring out all that we had and all that we are at the feet of Jesus. Watchman Nee words it so nicely. He says, the breaking of the alabaster box and the anointing of the Lord filled the house with the odor with the sweetest odor. Everyone could smell it. Whenever you meet someone who has really suffered, been limited, gone through things for the Lord, willing to be imprisoned for the Lord, just being satisfied with him and nothing else, immediately you sense the fragrance. There is a savor of the Lord. Something has been crushed. Something has been broken. And that is resulting in an odor of sweetness. You know when people have been with Jesus of Nazareth. People can say whatever they want. They can act all Christian. They can quote scriptures to you. They can make it look like they're better than you. They can pray over people and shake. They can sputter words and tongues. And they can look all Christian. It is the anointing. The anointing is unmistakable. It is undeniable. And when Jesus, the anointed one, walks into the room, you know it. And when the anointing begins to flood and work through your life, you know it. The prayer of each and every one of us today should be, God, not only do I want your anointing, but I want to pour my life out to you. God, I know that you are on a mission in this world, and that requires me. That requires me. It's not my church and the systems they have in place. Yes, they are lovely, and they are helpful. But God has always been looking for men and women that say, God, here I am. I pour my life out before you as a fragrant offering. Let's take a moment and pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would come and fill this place afresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, before we even enter into the notion of wanting to be filled with the anointing, like this woman who came to your feet, Lord, we want to pour out our love. We want to pour out our devotion. 
We want to pour out the anointing of our heart that is being squeezed and pressed to love you. Lord, I pray today that your anointing would begin to flow. Lord, like this woman found herself at the feet of Jesus, she wasn't asking for anything. She wasn't declaring things and doing a whole mumbo-jumbo. All she did was pour out her heart. And I thank you that anointing began to flow. Lord, I pray this morning that as men and women of God, as youth and children that are in the room today, for those that are watching online, that they would find a place with you. If you're here this morning, I encourage you, find a place with God. We've got a few more minutes before we wrap up. And even then, if you need to leave, the doors are ready for you. You can go quietly. But this morning, if you want the anointing to flow back and forth from his throne to your heart, from your heart to his throne, I ask you to find a place of prayer, either up at these altars or at your seat this morning, that you begin to ask Jesus to flood and fill your life with his presence that you begin to pour out your life and your heart to Jesus without pretense and say, Lord, here I am today. Here I am. I pour out my life to you. I don't want anything. I'm not asking for anything. All I want is you. All I want is you. I want the anointed one. I want the anointed one because if I want the anointed one, everything else is going to flow out of that. If the altar team could make their way to the front this morning. We want to pray with those that need that touch of the Holy Spirit in their life. If you're here this morning and you feel that kind of burning, that internal burning, that conviction of, I just want Jesus. I, I want his presence in my life. I, I don't understand every facet of it. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I just want him. I ask you to come this morning. Come from wherever you're seated and begin to ask the Lord and ask these people that are here to pray for you, I want the anointing. I want the anointing. I want that touch of God upon my life. I want that touch of God like I've never known it before. I want that anointing. See, men and women of God, he's looking for you today. He's looking for you to make that stand and to say, I am not leaving this place without the presence of God. And you know when you've got it or not. This morning, as Pastor Noah leads us in worship, feel free to come. If you'd like to take a place at the altar just by yourself or at your seat, feel free to do that. God bless you this morning. Please keep in mind that if you're leaving today, please do that quietly. I'd kindly like to ask our usher, just make sure those doors stay closed so the sound doesn't interrupt people in here. God bless you. Have a beautiful week. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Make sure you share this message with a friend or family member to encourage them today. Head to BethelNE.com to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel New England.